for the audio or you can even watch back Giving players all the props or put them on blast We don't give no hot takes, only talk facts We're giving all our devotion Riding high on this wave of emotion Going all out, yeah, cause this is our time Sammy got it off the ground And to all the listeners tuned in right now Got debates, analysis, and speculation This is sports talk for the new generation You know where to find us, got a reputation Sick podcast, your number one sports destination We're giving all our devotion Riding high on this wave of emotion Going all out, yeah, cause this is our time No, we ain't no stopping us
can even watch back Giving players all the props Or puts them on blast We don't give no hot takes Only talk back S-I-C-K Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero. 55 seconds left in the penalty a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. The Sickest Montreal Canadiens Podcast. <laughs> You're in the ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la victoire des Canadiens. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together they worked a young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast on this Wednesday, December 6th. Thanks, everyone, for watching on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter. Tell your friends, share it, like it, please, if you can. This episode, I have a feeling, yes, is going to be sick because it always is with Craig Button of TSN. The sick podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, Labita TB, and Playground. Without further ado, let's bring him in. TSN's director of scouting, amongst other titles that he has. Craig Button, what's going on? Not much. Uh, I'm sitting in Calgary, and uh, it is just beautiful weather. No snow, like it was 16 degrees yesterday. So it's uh, it's been a wonder. It's unbelievable. I can't believe it. I like to ski, so there's not a lot of snow uh, in in the area. But uh, I guess I'll just have to wait till next year. But uh, things are going good in the World Junior. I mean, I yeah. 16 days uh, before I depart for the World Junior in Sweden. So that's an exciting time and. Certainly some Montreal Canadiens players that are going to be front and center at that tournament. Or you could make your way to Montreal if you like skiing that much, because I think between uh, Sunday night and Monday night, I think we had something like 30 centimeters here or whatever it is. It's unbelievable. All the cars are are like hidden in snow. And uh, (laughs) if you you love skiing, hey, that's uh, that's a beautiful, um, it's the Montreal Forum, is it not? Right above it? It is. Yeah. It is. It's uh, I got it as a, as a birthday present when I was younger, and I have so many great memories of, of the Montreal Forum. And, you know, going there and, and that picture, there was, to me, Tony, like you, you think back and it puts a smile on my face thinking about those Saturday nights going to the Montreal Forum. And I didn't get to go that much. That was usually my mother and father's night out to socialize and everything. But it, on, a, on a night, on a winter night, when you and the, and the escalators with the hockey sticks, and it, it, I mean, you, you honestly, you knew you were going to the hockey cathedral. You knew, and I mean, and you know, we see the pictures. I mean, I had to wear a tie. I had to wear a tie to go. I mean, I didn't have to wear a jacket, but I had to wear a sweater when I went to the games. That that was just what you had to do to uh, to enter uh, the cathedral of hockey, and it's it, just a great memory. And these are our season. Uh, 
our season uh, seats. Uh, that and, I, and don't ask me how I ended up with them. My two brothers and my wow. mother have no. I said, well, I, I didn't take them in the dark of night. Uh, you know, obviously, I ended up with them somehow, some way, and, and here they are. So I told them uh, my, my, they all live in the east. I said, if you want them, you're happy to come and collect them if, if it means that much to you. But yeah, I, nobody's taking me up on that. Uh, they will one day when they find out how much they're worth. <laughs> You'll see the way they come. Down. What numbers are they? They are numbers. Uh, we were in section three hundred nine, number sixteen and fifteen. Sixteen and fifteen. All right. Okay. Rajah uh, Hul, Henri Richard. Oh man, Henri Richard was such a great player. But there's there's a real, for me, every time I think of Henri, well, I think of eleven Stanley Cups, obviously, right? The pocket <laughs> rocket. But I have a little Ari Richard story for you that I'm I'm still I, I'm I'm doing therapy for. I think I, I have to try and get over it at one point. So very quickly, I I don't know when this was because I'm not very good with time. I don't know six seven years ago, whatever it was. My wife goes to the car wash, and um, they you know at the counter they're selling lotto tickets. So my wife says, "Yeah, give me a lotto ticket," and she grabs a um, um, Lotto Max uh, where you have to get seven numbers on forty nine. So she, I think she plays $8 worth of tickets. And um, anyway, that night, the numbers come out. We hit the first one. We hit the second one. We hit the third one. We hit the fourth one. We hit the fifth one. We hit the sixth one. So <laughs> at the seventh number, we have number 16. And what number comes out? Number nine. There's my, <laughs> there's my Ari Richard pocket rocket rocket Richard story. Yeah, we have number sixteen to win sixty million dollars. And now I'm working in radio, making minimum wage at the time, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, and number nine comes out and we have number 16 so anytime somebody tells me about number 16 i have it in my head and uh yeah we didn't hit the uh the bonus number either it was number 21 that draw nobody won the 60 million i think one person won the bonus which was four hundred thousand dollars or something like that and um 111 people went six for seven and my wife was one of those. So we won $5,712. My wife has been ecstatic ever since. And I'm like in the biggest depression known to man. Well, what would have been really cruel is if, 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 the, if the winning uh, allotment would have been $5,716. <laughs> yeah, that would have stung even more. You're probably right about that. But anyway... Uh, that's, that's my, uh, my pocket rocket story, even though it's got nothing to do with the rocket or the pocket rocket. Okay. Um, board of governors meetings over the past couple of days, uh, we're going to get to that in just a second, but you opened the door for me, actually talk to me about the world juniors, uh, and, and Montreal Canadians, because of course, Canadians fans are watching this, uh, and some of their prospects. What are we looking at? Well, you're looking at, well, I'm going to mention three players that are going to be prominent for their respective uh, countries. You know, Owen Beck returns. I mean, he, he came in last year as an injury replacement for uh, Kirby Doc's younger brother, Colton Doc. 
and performed admirably. I mean, he, he could be the captain of this team. I mean, he, he's the only returning player from last year's gold medal winning team. And, you know, you, you, you watch the maturity of Owen on the ice. You know, he went to the Memorial Cup last year after being traded to Peterborough. He's a complete player, right? He, he, he understands the game in so many uh, different ways and uh, performs in, in, at a high standard. And that's what you need in this tournament. It's 10 days. It's 10 days to try to compete for a gold medal. It's not... It's not all about who was a first-round draft pick. It's about who can come together as a team. And, and, and Owen has been through that successfully in a lot of different iterations. And very well has to be uh, one, of the, one of the few play, one, one of the, a, a small number of players that, that could captain this Team Canada. Then you go over to Team USA, Lane Hudson. I mean, he, he was a star last year at the tournament uh, for Team USA. And he's going to be a star again this year. There's no question about it. I mean, he controls the game. Uh, with the with the pocket, his anticipation, it, it, his brain processes at uh, next generation uh, speeds, and and the understanding that he has in the game, and anybody playing against Team USA is going to have to know to mark him. Jacob Fowler, I don't think he's going to get a lot of uh, uh, of the big games for Team USA. That that's going to fall to Trey Augustine. Uh, who, who played last year and, and has been outstanding this year at Michigan State. And, and Jacob has been very good at, at Boston College as well. But the net, uh, it will be Trey Augustine's unless something uh, uh, unfortunate happens to, to Trey, whether it be an injury or he just doesn't perform up to level. But, you know, Jacob will, will, will be a real uh, uh, important part of the goaltending tandem. And then you have Philip Mazar. Uh, you know, with Team Slovakia. Team Slovakia returns a lot of really good players. Juraj Slavkovsky is still eligible to play in this tournament. I mean, he's not going to play in this tournament, but this group of what the, the O5s, the O6s, the, the, the O4s have been a very good group for uh, Slovakia, and they return a lot of good players to this tournament. And Philip Mazar, having gone through the tournament uh, last year and really uh, understanding you know what the level of the tournament is and he's been terrific in kitchener this year and i don't think he'll be any less uh significant or important for uh, team slovakia at the world juniors so for the montreal canadians fans three prominent players in beck hudson and mazar uh you know wearing their country's uh flag and I, I don't think there's any question that they'll be performing at a high level Geez, judging from some of the highlights I've seen from uh, from uh, Lane Hudson this season, uh, you have oh. to think that uh, this could be his tournament. Am I wrong? Or? Well, if you're looking at the tournament, and uh, I, I think it, if you're asking me right now uh, to handicap the, the tournament with respect to best defenseman in the tournament, I, I would say Lane Hudson and Axel Sandin Pelika of Sweden headline that group. I mean, Denton Matejchuk, who was a first-round draft pick to uh, Columbus a couple years ago, uh, certainly would, uh, you know, follow. But those two, those two, to me, are, are, are the key cogs on their respective blue lines for uh, team, team USA and Team Sweden. But, uh, I mean, if, if you ask me to put a chip down on who is going to be the best defenseman in the tournament, I would put the chip on Lane Hudson. You know, uh, Owen Beck is, um, is is could be a coach's dream, right? He's a oh. he's a he's a he's a smart young man. Uh, academically, he's done amazing. Um, when they asked him during the um, during the interviews, um, you know, uh, you good at faceoffs? Yes. How good are you? Best in the OHL, he said. 
And, uh, and so he's a real student of the game. Uh, he works very, very hard on his game. But to see what kind of chair is going to be his chair at the National Hockey League level, obviously, is going to be very tough because there's, there's a big development stage to go through. But is there a concern about his ability to put up points and manufacture offense? I don't think there is. I mean, you're, you're not. I, I don't think that Owen at the NHL know, level, of course. No, yeah, 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 right. And and that's important to distinguish between. I mean, there's. I mean, look at Guy Carbonell. I'm just going to use Guy Carbonell as an example. He put up 180 points in junior. He put 100 points up in the American Hockey League. He became a a great two way center. I mean, he put up 55 points in the National Hockey League. That's nothing to sneeze at. But it was far off 180 points plus in Shakutami in the Quebec League and certainly in Nova Scotia. I mean, Guy has told the story. He said John John Brophy told him, he goes, they got a lot of offense up there, uh, Guy. He goes, you're going to have to be better uh, in, in other areas of the game. And Guy said, okay, what are, what are those? And he, we know what he did. He's a Hall of Famer. So, yeah. Owen, so you're not asking Owen to be a, a point producer. And, and you talked about a coach's dream. He is a coach's dream because – he can do so many, and, and I call them critically important things in the game that help you win. You talked about the faceoffs. He can kill penalties. He's smart. He knows how to. He knows how to take advantage uh, of situations where he can shut down an, a, an opponent offensively and put up his own points. Like you know, end up on the right side of the ledger with respect to offense because he is so smart. You know, when I go back. I go back to this and I think back to that to the draft and, and it was the Slavkovsky and, and there was a lot of talk about Shane Wright and you know I I really like Shane Wright and still do but once you saw what the Montreal Canadiens did and 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 I think it's important not to isolate one player so the Montreal Canadiens said we're drafting Slavkovsky I always say celebrate the player you're drafting know what you're getting and and, and move on and they did then they traded for Kirby Dock a big right shot center. I mean, you know, maybe he's better on the wing. I don't know, but he's a big right shot center. And then with the first pick in the second round, they draft another right shot center and, and Owen back. So so now when you look at it, people go, why didn't they draft Shane Wright? Well, he we said they get a big, strong winger in Slavkowski. They trade for a young Kirby Dock, a very talented big center. And then they get Owen back a, a superb two-way center in the second round. That's the answer why they didn't draft Owen uh, Shane, right? And, and those are the things nobody knew, but at, at, as it manifested itself through the draft, you look at it and go, that's strengthening your team. So specifically to your question is, I, I think that Owen will find ways to be very valuable to a team that are outside uh, the statistical summary of goals and assists and points. And, you know, lo lots of players, uh, you know, put up – Ken Dryden in the book, uh, uh, The Game, talked about Bob Gainey. He said, in a league of do-nothing 20-goal scorers, Bob Gainey is essential to success. Mm -hmm. Owen Beck can be essential to success. He's not a do-nothing offensive player. He's a really well-rounded, important player. Didn't Victor, Victor Tikhanov at one point call Bob Gainey like just the best all-round hockey player in the world? Yeah, he did. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty good label to have, eh? Not too shabby. <laughs> you brought up Philip Michar, who's going to be at the World Juniors. Um, he wasn't overly impressive uh, at camp. He, you know, I saw him at development camp, and what he does show you is he shows you flashes, right? And and so you don't see him, you don't see him, and then all of a sudden you see a rush down the wing, you see a snipe, and you're like, okay, I just saw something. And then you don't see him for a while. 
so he wasn't overly impressive in terms of a consistent consistency point of view. He goes down to Laval, doesn't quite crack it there uh, in his role, and so they send him down to the Ontario Hockey League. He's ripping it up in the Ontario Hockey League, but ripping it up. But some scouts will look at that and say, ah, I don't put a lot of onus in, you know, overage players picking up points at the junior hockey level. Um, how do you see it? He's not an overage player. He's 19 years old. He's junior eligible. Yeah. He wouldn't be able to play in the World Junior Tournament if he was an overage player. So he's not yeah. an overage player. That's the first thing. Well, and you, you know what I mean by that? Not, you but know, he's 19. He's yeah, 19. Yeah, yeah. You know, Tony, go go through the league and count the 19-year-olds in the league. Okay, this is not a league for 19-year-olds. you you got to be really advanced to be able yeah. to play in this league at 19 years of age. So he comes to training camp, and, you know, you're, you're trying to get a feel for, you know, where you're at in terms of your own development. Mm -hmm. and, and then what you're trying to do is, is find that consistent level of productivity that's really hard for a 19-year-old. Players evolve and develop at different points in time. We, we see it continuously. Some are a little bit sooner. Some take a little bit longer. Where Philip finds himself right now is, is absolutely normal. And I would much prefer having a player in my system that's putting up big points at his age level as a 19-year-old because that's what you would expect from a 19-year-old in junior. Yeah. Kitchener's a really good team. UCI Hocus, a Finnish coach, is an outstanding coach, has, has worked with a lot of good young players and understands what the, what, what the, what the path is like. So to me, what you, what you have to do with young players is you have to help them understand. So, so you see those flashes. He, he's not a first-round draft pick by accident. He has the skills. He has. But what you want to see now, you want to see those flashes get extended. You want to see longer stretches of good, purposeful play. Uh -huh. you, you see gaps now. But that's what happens with young players. You know, they, they just don't understand yet or they're not quite ready yet to be able to take advantage of that skill on a consistent basis. That's yeah. why you got to be patient with them. It takes time. So to me, Philip Mayshar comes with a lot, a lot of talent and a lot, a lot of skills that are coveted. Just let him continue to grow, continue to let him, you know, find his uh, consistent path, and then let's see where he's at. And I'll be straightforward. Th th that's going to come when he's 21 years of age at, at the earliest. Yeah. It's like Joshua Watt. Joshua Wah is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an excellent prospect. It's not till next year that we're going to really get a good look at where Joshua Wah is in terms of his arrival time. And there's arrival time. And he might get games in the NHL. He might get a little stretch of, yeah. of, of experience and a taste of it. I'm talking about when you arrive and yeah. you can arrive knowing you're ready. That's, what I'm, that, that's where we'll see – uh, next next October of 2024 on Joshua Wah. Yeah. And Mashar is two years past that. Or not two years a, past now. Not an easy thing being a Montreal Canadiens draft pick because, of course, you know the media <laughs> covering the team is is a lot more media than you'll get in most markets, probably with the exception or on the same level as Toronto. So, you know, when Mashar was struggling at one point to make his mark, now he's been off to the races for about three or four weeks now. But when he was struggling at one point, Coolidge came into the Place Bell in Laval, uh, who was drafted a couple of picks later by the Buffalo Sabres, and he lit up the Laval Rocket and scored a hat trick. So a lot of people are looking at uh, Coolidge and saying, he should have been the pick. So not easy here. Okay, you're right. Okay, and it, it never is. And, and what I would say is, 
Philip, they've made that decision to draft Philip. Like you can't go back and, and, and unring the bell. No, this is where you're at now. You can evaluate after a, after an appropriate amount of time has passed to say, okay, you know, why did we choose this player over that player? You know, and, and that's part of scouting. That's part of evaluation. It's constant, and and you got to do that. But if you're going to evaluate a draft pick just because a player that got drafted after you came in and had had a great night, and now you're saying, oh, we should have drafted that player instead, that's not the way you do it. That's not the way scouting works. And and I get that media it, 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 it is it, the it, it is more intense in Montreal. It doesn't change the it doesn't change the development path. I, I I read a quote by Jeff Molson. He goes, "We want to do this the right way. We're not in a rush to get it somewhere before it's ready. Yeah. We want to be we want to do it the right way, and we're going to be patient. That is the key. I don't care how much media attention there is, it's not going to speed up the development." Yeah, said it a couple of days ago at the Board of Governors meeting when asked about, yep. you know, uh, if they're going to speed up the rebuild. And he said, no, the rebuild is not a question of speeding it up. It's a question of doing it right. So we're going to take, and how long are you going to take? Some people are growing impatient. Well, there's no timeline on it. We're going to take uh, whatever time it takes to get it right, and and we'll continue on the development path that we're going. You said something a couple of minutes ago about some players it takes them longer, some t- players it takes them less long. Um, Yuri Slavkowski earlier today at practice, who, by the way, was reunited with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield last game versus the Seattle Kraken. They played together a couple of times now. Last time before that was probably a couple of weeks before that. He had probably his most complete game in the National Hockey League. Didn't pick up any points, but boy, oh boy, did he look comfortable. Suzuki, um, Slavkowski, pardon me, asked earlier this morning about you know, the pressures on, on young players that are drafted or players that are drafted at first overall, like himself, if we can bring it up. Like uh, there is a couple of special young players and now people think that everyone will be like the, like those guys. So it's not always like that. And some guys need more time. Some guys need less time. Some some guys never figure it out. will never figure that out. So, yeah, I, for me, I, I don't want to... What I want at the end of my career, so yeah, I'm looking. I'm trying to do everything every day, so I'll at some point, and when I'm, I don't know, 40 or 50, I'll say, yeah, I I did everything I could. I like I couldn't, I didn't didn't want to change anything what I did on the way. Two messages there. Translation: Hey, not everyone's Crosby, Ovechkin, and McDavid. And number two, everyone relax just breathe in breathe out and it'll be okay you listen to your talk there and you for you you can forget that he's 19 years old just the maturity of understanding that then the ability to articulate that in a second language is beyond impressive it's, it's beyond impressive tony i don't know what to say we do it because he, he he's got a he's got a sense of what he is he's got a sense of where he wants to go and he he knows what path it's going to take and and he's right you don't i i, I told young players this for years you're not going to look back on your career when you're 22 you're going to look back on your career when it's over when you're 40 so work at your career and work at it 
you know, you know, you think about the the history of the Montreal Canadiens and, uh, you know, you know, the great saying, you know, from failing hands, we throw the torch, you know, be yours to hold it high. You know, all those players that were able to, you know, provide guidance. Wouldn't it be nice for Guy Lafleur to still be in our presence, to be able to just talk to your Slavkovsky about, you know, his trials and tribulations. He was yeah. He was 20 when he turned pro. And, you know, and, and coming into the league in 1971 was Jean Beliveau retiring. I mean, I can't imagine uh, a greater pressure than there was on Guy Lafleur. But it took him three years before he really showed the superstar that he became and, and, and everybody projected him to be. 23. Yeah. Your eyes a few years away from that. The maturity that he has and – I think it's just fantastic to hear him understand that he's going to work at it and yeah. do it. You know, just, I was just on the California trip with the, with the Montreal Canadians. Mm-hmm. Your eye was beyond impressive, beyond impressive where you saw steps being taken forward, really good, strong steps being taken forward. And I watched the LA game uh, against Columbus on Tuesday night. They're coming into, into Montreal on Thursday night. And I'll say the same thing. Watch number 55 for the L.A. Kings, Quentin Byfield. The Kings were patient with him. It took some time. He was in the American Hockey League for a stretch. Quentin Byfield's a really good, solid player, and he's only getting better. And, yeah. and it takes an organization to just say, hang on, we got it, we're going to help you, and as long as the player understands it and is working at it, then you can intersect that, that – mm-hmm. you can come to that intersection where player arrives – yeah, at that point where you know he's realizing his potential, yeah. and then and and then the team is going to get the benefits of that. I have the perfect mentor for Uri Slavkowski right in the Montreal Canadiens backyard. Okay, Vincent Le Cavalier, drafted first overall, entered the National Hockey League at eighteen, had the same size and frame as Uri. Mind you, he was a centerman. Um, when he was drafted, I think his owner back in the day said that we're looking at the next Michael Jordan of hockey. So I know the pressure in Tampa isn't the same as the pressure in Montreal. Obviously, Montreal is more so. But when your owner says this is the next Michael Jordan of hockey, that's a lot of pressure that's put on you. <laughs> Jacques Demers coaching that team at the time. I believe he had Vinny LeCavalier playing on the third line, eased them in slowly but surely. Uh, Vinny LeCavalier, of course, former client of Kent Hughes. Kent brought him on as a as a uh, as a special advisor, um, here's a guy who's in the Canadians' backyard. I, I don't attend every practice. I don't think I've ever seen him on the ice or heard of him being on the ice with your eye. I would imagine they've had some conversations. You would think, but wouldn't that be the perfect mentor for your eye, Slavkowski? Yeah, you're right, Tony. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, obviously, you know, Vinny you know, being a first overall pick and understanding the pressures that come with being the first overall pick because the pressure of being the first overall pick, there's an expectation on you. The expectation is, is that you're going to be the player that is going to lead us. Usually the team that's picking first overall is terrible. In the case of Guy Lafleur, I mean, Jean Beliveau had just led the Montreal Canadiens to the Stanley Cup and retiring at, 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 at the greatest moment a player could retire still performing at a high level. You're the captain of the, of the team you started with, and you, you finished with the Stanley Cup. I, I, I don't know if there's a better way to, to do it. I, I, I can't think of one. If there is, yeah. please let me know. The so, series that had know, that, you, famous, that famous uh, trailing 5-1 versus the Boston Bruins 
in Boston to come back and win that game, I think by a score of seven to five. Was that game two, I think, of the series? I think it was game two. I don't know. There was an eight seven game in there, I believe. You know, I think that I, I still remember watching a game seven in Chicago at the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. When Jacques Lemaire scored from center ice over Tony Esposito. Like, yeah. it, it, like I don't remember a lot when I was seven years old, yeah. but I remember that like it was yesterday. I remember watching the game and thinking, yeah. like, whoa, like, you know, it was like, anyway. But first overall picks. Dryden first overall picks. Dryden save on wow. Ah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Hey, Dryden save on on on, on Esposito and Orr and Hodge and Pappen and all of them to get yeah. to that Stanley Cup. I mean, he was brilliant. Hey, and, uh, and, and the chair. The, all, the, pardon me, the chair you have there. I, I have to bring him up. The 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 pocket rocket scored two goals well, in Game Seven versus the Blackhawks in '71. After Lemaire got him on the board. Quick story, if if I if I can. Let me just so, finish my thought here. First overall do, picks do. can all, yeah. no, just real quick. First overall picks can relate to one another, and that becomes important to to, to your suggestion about Vinny Lecavier being somebody that can be a terrific mentor for for your ride. No question about it. You 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 brought me down memory lane now, referring back to <laughs> seventy one because I, I was born in in seventy two, so um. I've watched the highlights. They're on YouTube, by the way. They're absolutely fantastic. You can you can really watch uh, all the highlights of of all the games uh, of the '71 Cup run. Uh, so my 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 dad um, came to Canada back in 1967, and uh, he was l- looking for soccer to watch, but there wasn't much soccer here. Uh, there were there was an establishment in Montreal that would actually show you the second half and only the second half of games back in Europe. So you would go, you'd pay for your entry, you'd watch the second half. But the thing that was on television, of course, were, were the Montreal Canadiens. So, you know, he, um, he picked up the sport pretty quickly because he thought the concepts were rather similar, right? One was uh, 11 v 11 goalie included. And the other one was six V six goalie included. One had a ball and the other one had a puck and, you know, one would kick it and the other one would have a stick and they would shoot it. So anyway, he fell in love with the Montreal Canadiens back then. Who didn't? But he, he, so 67, he comes over, but he really falls in love with the Canadiens the year of 71. And where they, they, they surprised the hockey world by the Canadians had a great team. They had a lot of Hall of Famers, but the Boston Bruins were like out of this world good back in 71, right? With a ton of 50 goal scorers and a ton of 100 point players. And they beat the Bruins in seven in Boston. And then they end up going to the Stanley Cup final, like you said. They beat the Blackhawks. Long t- Just to say, my father said back in the day, 71, he and all of his buddies and probably the rest of the city went to the airport to greet the team coming back with the Stanley Cup. And that's the moment where he really became a Montreal Canadiens fan. So there's my little 71 story. Hope I didn't bore well, you it, with no, not at all. I mean, it brings back great memories, and you know, I, you know, I think back through my high school years. You, you, you're in elementary school, Tony. I was in high school, and and actually, I, I had a really good friend. I have a really good friend. He was he was a diehard Blackhawks fan. He was a diehard because his brother, his older brother, his older brother was was quite a, was a little bit older, quite a bit older than him. He had gone to uh, Lake Forest. Uh, uh, to play hockey, which was just outside of Chicago. So he looked up to his brother and he was in Chicago and he kind of took to the Chicago Blackhawks uniforms and whatnot. Anyway, we, we used to rib him. We go like, 
hey, we're going to the Stanley Cup party. Is there one in Chicago this year? And he, he, he you know, every every year when, we grad, when school would end, there was a Stanley, or near the end of school, uh, there'd be a Stanley Cup party. I, all those times reminiscing and thinking how lucky we were to grow up with excellence and watching a, a, a team perform at the level they did. And, you know, I just watched some clips again the other day of the 19. Uh, the New Year's Eve game on uh, December 31st, 1975. And, you know, again, I remember watching the game on TV and, you know, you go back and you watch it now a little bit differently, but but, but it still brings back the, the, these wonderful memories. So yeah. you think about you, you think about your dad, you think about your first love for hockey. And then, you know, for you probably, I'm going to guess, I mean, you were seven and 79, maybe 78, 79, but 86 would have resonated pretty big with you. And that oh, was yeah. A, that was a special run. <laughs> yeah. The chance of Ruah, Ruah in Madison Square Garden in game three, but it didn't get to Patrick Waugh. He stood on his head, and the Canadians won that game. It was Claude Lemieux who scored in overtime to give the Canadians a 3 nothing lead in New York, and they ended up winning that one in five versus the Rangers, and then end up winning the Stanley Cup in 86. When uh, Brian Scrulin scored nine seconds into overtime, game two, I remember that one. And I remember game five, I believe uh, they won a game at the Montreal Forum in the final, I think by a score of one to nothing on a goal by Claude Lemieux. Another one, they may have won 5-2 or 5-3 and a couple of goals by Mats Naslin. And game five in Calgary, they win by a score of four to one. I'm trying to remember the goal scorers now. I'm going to say... Um, Rick Green, Bobby Smith, mm-hmm. Gaston Gingras, and I'm trying to remember who scored the other one. I should know this. Bobby Smith, was it Rick Mc, Green. Was, was it McPhee? I'm not sure, but you know what? And yellow Sammy at Master Control. You can help me out here, okay? Game five, damn, I'm kicking myself for not knowing this. Game five, Stanley Cup final, 1986. Canadians beat the Flames by a score of four to three. Who were the Montreal Canadiens goal scorers? I'm, I, I'm, I'm, and now I'm saying Gingras, but I'm wondering if, uh, if he did. But I, I remember, I remember Rick Green and Bobby Smith for sure. That I remember. Okay. Let's get back now. You said something about <laughs> Shane Wright before. Reminiscing. Yeah, reminiscing is amazing. You said something about Shane Wright. And uh, you, I, I think you said he was he was your pick at the draft. Was he uh, your number one pick? He was. But, you know, I, again, I've said this all the way through. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I really, I really thought that, that Shane was a really good player. But there was no clear cut. It wasn't a Connor Bedard draft. Yeah. It wasn't a yeah. Connor McDavid draft. It wasn't an Austin Matthews draft you know, where it was clear cut. And you certainly, you, you, you can say you like this player. And that's why when I talk about what Montreal did, you know, big, strong wingers like Slavkovsky are important to winning. It's important to winning. You know, there's a lot of talk and, uh, and, and, and rightfully so. Tim Stutzla is a star in, in Ottawa. But Quentin Byfield, who went ahead of Stutzla, is a really important part of a, of a, of a Stanley Cup contending team in L.A., yeah. And Uri Slavkovsky, you want to win, you need players like Uri Slavkovsky. So, you know, you understand why. Like the New Jersey Devils were never going to draft Shane Wright or Logan Cooley, even if they thought they would be better, because they had centers. They had Heischer and Hughes. Mm-hmm. So you understand what, what teams are trying to, 
uh, to do when they're, when they're drafting. And certainly, as I said, you draft Slavkovsky, you trade for Doc, you draft Owen Beck, you go, okay, we got this under control. Yeah. Uh, the answers have come in, by the way. I, I was right about Green, Smith, and Gingra, and the other guy is Brian Scrulin. On an assist. Well, scored in game. Okay. Yeah, on an assist by Mike McPhee and Chloe Mew, by the way. That line was unbelievable in the playoffs. Yes, it was. So, so you made that clear, and you're right. There was no consensus, but I'm curious. Why not Uri Slavkowski as your pick for the Montreal Canadiens back then? Because... We know he had had a tremendous Olympic Games. He was very, very good in the World Championships. Was it that you put more an onus on the centerman over the winger, which scouts typically do? It was. I mean, I, I really thought what was for me. What I what I thought was is that Shane Wright could be like Patrice Bergeron, and 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 you know the admiration for the 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 game that Patrice Bergeron. He's going to the Hall of Fame in two years' time. Yeah. Uh, um, 20 what 20 he retired in 2026 20, you know that that's the game that i thought shane had and i and i think it's valuable but it, it's not so much about uri slavkovsky uh not being a, a worthwhile pick or a really good pick i mean uh, there was one of those situations where you, know, you draft uri slavkovsky you're not going wrong you're getting a big winger and but you, you when, when you're looking at what you're trying to do to build your team and again i didn't nobody other than the Montreal Canadiens management, have the benefit of knowing that they were going to trade for Kirby Dock. And obviously they had Owen back on the brain because they drafted him in, in, early in the second round. So you, you start moving, you get the big winger, you get a big center, big young center in, in Kirby Dock, you draft Owen back. You're not drafting Shane Wright at one because now yeah. all you're going to do is log jam. You're, you're just going to log jam yourself. You're not building out a team. Yeah. And so Montreal, to me, did a fantastic job, fantastic job of – looking at how they wanted to build out their team. All right. Speaking of big, and this is a big story right now in Montreal, by the way, regarding a big man, Arbor Jack guy, who was on injured reserve a couple of days ago. They took him off of it, and they sent him down to Laval. And Jack guy tells reporters he was sent down, and you know what? He's got to work on – They've been. he's been told he's got to work on his defensive game, Okay. Here's a guy who came in a year ago, surprised a lot of people. Here's a player who wasn't drafted in the National Hockey League, surprised a lot of people by making this team a year ago out of camp and establishing himself as, you know what, a pretty tough guy in the National Hockey League early on this season. Uh, game one, as a matter of fact, looks pretty good versus Ryan Reeves. Nicknamed the Sheriff, a lot of people are giving him the championship belt of the National Hockey League already. And here he is. Here's a team. That has a lot of small players. You and I talked about it. Nick Suzuki's not big. Cole Caulfield is not big. Alex Newhook is not big. Brendan Gallagher is not big. Harvey Pennard's not big. Now, some of them are out due to injury. and But they send them down. Like, my buddy George Larac is freaking out right now, right? He's <laughs> freaking out. He says, Can he, the Canadians are ruining him. They can't do this to him. And, and What do you make of this situation? Well, here's the first situation that you got to consider and contemplate. We we got to have a night where where George and me are on together with you. We, okay. we I really like George. I, I got lots of time for George because you know what George has. He he has experience. Well, he's intelligent. He's got experience. He's got passion, and I, I love that. I, I love that. It, you know, we don't always have to agree with everything that that, that that one another says, but you can have great. You can have a lot of respect. And I certainly have a lot of respect for George. So. 
I, I think this is where, you know, from George's perspective, he's looking at you, you, you don't want your young players and your smaller players to be taken advantage of. And, and, and I get that. And, and, and that is always understood. Hey, listen, Sarah Savard, I remember talking, hearing him say this many years ago. He says, if they have one battleship, you need a battleship. If they have two battleships, you need two battleships. If they have three battleships, you need three battleships. So that, I mean, Sammy Pollock, I mean, you think back, at, I mean, we're going to reminisce, so we're going to do, do, do a little bit of history lesson here, okay? Like, the Montreal Canadiens used to rule the power play. They, they had great offense. And then teams started to rough them up. And they weren't winning, and teams were taking advantage of their star players. What ended up happening? Dan Pollock says, we can't have that anymore. What's, one, what's the first thing he did? Oh, he went and signed a young gentleman who was anything but a gentleman on the ice by the name of John Ferguson. Talk about a sheriff. What was it? Eight seconds into his first game, he fights Teddy Green and lost to Bruins. And we all know what, what John meant to the Montreal Canadiens. And then they yeah. went and won. They went and won. Because, so I fully understand where George is coming from, and I get that. I think that there's a short period of time here where you're just trying to look at trying to get Arbor's game back on track, coming back from injury. And Arbor's never going to cheat you in effort and determination or passion. But sometimes, you know, I think that he gets some – because he wants to be a difference maker, sometimes you, you, you're, you're trying to be a difference maker in ways that are – less possible than more possible. So just trying to manage that, whether it be working on your defensive game, I, I use the term less is more. I think that Arbor just has to get, now that might take a week, that might take two weeks, but I, I, I believe that that's where Montreal's at. I think everybody knows what Arbor means uh, to the Montreal Canadiens and what he brings to the Montreal Canadiens. Listen, I, I love the guy. I, I love, And I think there's a lot of untapped potential still there in his yeah. game. And I, I think for, for the management and, and for Marty St. Louis, it's just trying to get them, okay, listen, just go there, manage your game, and then everything will be okay. And, and, yeah. and I do believe that. I think everything will be okay. So fully understand where George is coming from, but let's just give it a little bit of time and let's just, let's just ensure that, that, that Arbor works at that area, gets, gets a little bit settled, and then carries through. Everybody loves the guy. It's hard not to love a guy who's all heart and soul and defends his teammates, right? Having said that, oh. the one thing that George brings up, and I can understand George going to bat. First of all, he worked in the offseason with Arbor uh, on his pugilistic game, all right? Okay, so he gave him a couple <laughs> of tips, number one. Number two, George played the role as a tough guy, a guy to defend his teammates, so obviously he's always going to go to bat for it, and I can appreciate that. Having said that, here's where we respectfully disagree on one thing, and that is this notion that when a tough guy is in your lineup, that other teams are not going to take liberties on some of your other players. Now in 23, 2023, soon to be 2024, I'm not so sure that exists anymore. Like a lot of people were saying, oh, you know what? The Leafs need a tough guy like Ryan Reese because no one's going to take liberties at Matthews or Marner or Nylander or Tavares or or hurt any of their players or check any of their players or go after any of their players, and they're going to be so much more respected, and the guys are going to grow a couple of inches. Has he really had that impact in Toronto? No. In fact, he's had no impact in Toronto. He's well, had zero then, impact. So, I mean, you think of early in the game. game not, yeah, I, I get it, though. But, like, Ryan Reeves isn't Arbor Jacka. Arbor Jacka can play 
lot of minutes in the game. Ryan Reeves can't play minutes in the game. For sure. All you got to do is go back to opening night. I mean, Ryan Reeves hits Gooley from behind, and who's right there? Arbor Jackeye. I've seen Toronto Maple Leafs get run. Well, Ryan Reeves is nowhere to be found. No, no, and I don't say that because he was on the ice. He's not on the ice because they can't put him on the ice. And then when he does come on the ice, nobody on the on the opposing side is even worried about Ryan Reeves. Play. We're going to score goals on you. I'm going to tell you a story about Brian McGratton. Brian McGratton, Brian McGratton was, was a tough hombre. He was tough and legitimate tough. And this is what, you know, and, and, and I think this is where George can help Arbor. He understood it. Yes, you're exactly right, Tony. The game is a little bit different. But players running at your players and trying to get them uncomfortable you know, it, 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 it's part of the game. It's part of the game. You, if you can get a player a little bit off his game by, 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 by finishing your checks, being a little bit harder on him, you know, that's, that's good. And, and so what you want to be able to do is, is be able to return the favor. But you don't – there's different ways to do that. Arbor can do that because of his play. He, he, he can be, it's not just dropping the gloves and fighting. He can do it by being physical against the other team's good players. But Brian McGratton was playing for the Calgary Flames. And – the Vancouver Canucks were they, they were a robust team. They played physical, and they were they were being physical on Jerome McGinley. Well, during a before a faceoff, Brian McGratton turned to the Vancouver bench and he looked at the two Sedins. He goes, "I don't know who is who there. I, I can't know. I'm sure your teammates don't even know who is who." He goes, "Well, I'm just telling you right now. Next guy that runs at Jerome, I'm coming after one of you guys." Turned around and took the faceoff. Because Brian McGratton knew how to do it. Ryan Reeves, his, his expiry date is coming. He can't do it anymore. Like, so the game is played, and, and, and George will tell you, and Tony, you know this. This is nothing that you don't know. The 200 by 85, there's no place to run. There's no place to hide. Everybody, know who, everybody on the ice knows who's real, and everybody knows who's not real. And if you don't have players who will deal with the non-real players, you're going to have problems. And I think that's where George is talking about. The game has changed with respect to the uh, the, the pugilistic and, mm-hmm. and, and the enforcer as a, as a sole enforcer. But Arbor can deliver uh, in, in significant ways to, to, to create what I call what I call an environment that's not comfortable for other players to feel that they can, uh, you know, without uh, – with, with impunity – just try to get our best players unsettled. Put you on the spot here. Uh, on a defense core that has a Matheson, a Kovacevic, uh, Jordan Harris, a Jaden Struble, an Arbor Jackeye, a Justin Barron, um, a Lane Hudson a couple of years away, a Logan Mayu at the American Hockey League level. In your opinion... David Reinbacher, don't forget. David Reinbacher, you're right. You're right. I I think he's a couple of years away as well. But in your opinion, uh, because they can't all play here, who is most expendable? Can they pull it off? And if they have to part ways with one or two of them, who's most susceptible to being the odd man out? In your opinion. (laughs) I feel like we're we're doing history here. So I'm going to answer this question with a, with a question, and then and, and, and then I'm going to answer it because because I think it it's a it's a multi level for me a multi a multifaceted answer. 
Who were the big three for the Montreal Canadiens back in the day? Savard, Lapointe, and Robinson. Did uh, Butch Bouchard play on those teams? Yes. Did uh, Gilles Lupien play on those teams? Yes. <laughs> unique players. Unique players. The big three were unique. Who became expendable? Langley became expendable. Engblom became expendable. Those are the players that be, because you had the big three, but you didn't have those other players. Back to the battleship argument. So Arbor Jack Eye is unique. There are very few players like him in the NHL. To me, not expendable. So now you look at your next group of players. Matheson and Gooley are not expendable. They're top players. They're top defensemen. They run the show. You know, uh, Justin Barron's a right shot defenseman. He, he's progressed really nicely. I think Cole Savage, I, I, I don't know if the Montreal Canadiens get enough credit for picking him up on waivers and, you know, just how solid a player he's been. So it becomes pretty easy for me. You go to the next group of players who, who's expendable. I, I, I think it's pretty obvious. You know, Jaden Struble has come in, and to me, I was just, I'm just impressed, beyond impressed with how well he played. Jordan Harris is a good player. But these now, when you have good players that can play on the blue line in the NHL, and no NHL team has ever complained about having too many defensemen. Now this is where Kent Hughes can go and use some of these players to go and acquire. Look, the, 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 the Montreal Canadiens traded Rod Langley and Doug Jarvis, and what did they get in return? They got Rick Green. Ah, unique player. And right? Ryan Walker. Back. And Ryan, and Ryan Walter. Yeah. And a big, heavy player, right? So, yeah. like, you know, they knew they had Carbono coming. So now, you know, Doug Jarvis became expendable. They knew how good Jarvie was, but he became expendable because of what you were trying to do. That's, that's how you build your – you build with prospects, good prospects, and then you're able to go and, and, and utilize prospects – that might not they're not all going to play for the Montreal Canadiens let's be very clear they're not all going to play for the Montreal so how are you, how are you going to operate to improve your team in other areas by by exchanging some of these players that's what it's all about and the Montreal Canadiens do not lack any ability to be yeah. able to trade good players to address other areas of their team where they might not be as strong by the way i love that eh did the big three play on the Montreal Canadiens? Yes. Who were they? Savard, Lapointe, <laughs> and Robinson. Did Bouchard play on the Canadiens as well? Yes. Did Lou play on the Canadiens as well? Yeah. You need players. That's good. Okay. Now, because what you're saying is you need players who play different roles. And Arbor plays a role. He has a niche. He's, he's got an X factor. He plays a certain role better than others. And if he's gone, who's going to play that role? If you're Arbor Jack guy and you're watching this, I, you know, I think you're pretty happy right now, right? Uh, I love Arbor. You know, I have no, like, I, I mean, I watched him in Kitchener and he'd come to the Montreal Canadian training camp and then he had signed and you're going, geez, that, that looks like a really good, and, and I'm asking myself the question and I get it was COVID like, you know, so you're, you're, there's delays and pauses and stoppages and you're not playing, but, but they signed up and then he went to Hamilton and he became a force. And then, you know, that's where he's at. I mean, his, his development and his progress has been like this. And I think it can, can – and, and maybe it's just – and they want a little bit more. That's okay. That's okay for, for Arbor right now. Yeah. Because I know Arbor's going to put in the work. I know he, his determination is not going to fall off. And I think when he returns to the Montreal Canadiens, it'll make a lot of people happy, a lot of the players happy. And I think he'll be uh, – he'll he, the coach will be happy 
to see him back there having found that level of just less is more, just just a little bit of less is more. And I think Arbor will, will find that. All right. Let's try and do a little bit of rapid fire because I want to bring up three or four topics very quickly. Number one, earlier today at practice for the Canadians, first wave of the power play, Suzuki, Caulfield, Slavkowski, Monaghan, and Matheson. Four forwards, one D. Matheson's your D. Second wave. Yulanen, Gallagher, Anderson, Dvorak, Barron. Once again, four forwards, one D, Barron's your D. My question to you is, would Caden Gooley be on your power play? Uh, yes. I think, I think he's earned an opportunity to, to, to play on the power play. When I've watched Caden, Caden's really smart with his play. And, and, and I, you know, you're, you're trying to find a balance between creativity and being able to, you know, open up the ice and find the seams and everything. Caden is what I would call really, really strongly functional. He, he knows where the puck needs to go and he's going to get it there and he's going to make the plays that can open up other opportunities. It might not be in a creative way, not that he lacks creativity, but I think it'll be more in a functional way because it's timing. He knows when to give up the puck. He knows where to get it to. And I think that that becomes really important. Uh, for the first time in, I think, 18 or 19 games or something like that, the same goalie who started last game is going to play next game. So Samuel Montembeau played on Monday. He's playing again on Thursday when the Canadians host the Los Angeles Kings. Is this a sign to you that the menage a trois, the three goalie system is nearing an end? Are, are you ready for this, Tony? Are you ready for this? I'm the ready. Montreal Canadiens, okay, are a 500 team right now. I, I, I think it's fantastic where they're at. Yeah, I, I, I think at a point in time, you know, they're, you're 25 games into the season, and, you know, that's where teams are at for the most part. You're 25 games into the season. You know what? There comes a time when you got to say, we're rewarding our players for digging in and, and playing hard. We're rewarding our, our, our goaltenders for delivering when we need them to deliver. And at some point in time, you, you can't just keep saying, well, you know what, like, it's his turn and – if we win, that's great, but it's more than that. You know, winning matters in this league, and winning matters for development. So I think it's about that. And I, if the Montreal Canadiens were were seven, eighteen, and three, I'd say okay, maybe, maybe you know, maybe they're they're pushing it. Yeah, not where they're at. I, I, I think rewards are just, and I think they're earned. And I think the Montreal Canadiens, I think Montembeau's earned it. I think the Montreal Canadiens as a team have earned it, and I think it's the absolute right thing to do. In ending, uh, the salary cap going up to about $87.7 million next season. As a guy who's a former general manager in the National Hockey League, um, what does that mean? How do you prepare for that as a GM? Well, I was in Calgary. We had a budget. My, my salary cap used to go down every year. It never went up. <laughs> <laughs> Dif different era, different era, all kidding aside. Uh, I call it the COVID CBA. You, you, you know, you know, escrow was capped. The salary cap was uh, was negotiated to, to work yeah. within parameters to, 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 to address the COVID scenario. That was four years. So we saw teams not be – players with contracts and, and, and teams that weren't able uh, to, to take advantage of growing revenues just because of what's happened. It's significant. It's going to help teams. It's you know when you when you can look at at, at the salary cap and know it's going up. You're, you're not thinking of squeezing now. You're thinking of like, 
okay, we can expand things and we can keep players and understanding how that works. I, I also think it'll work into the trade deadline in a significant way because I think as, as players have expiring contracts and you know the cap is going up next year and if a team is trading for them, they know legitimately that they can have a, a, a real crack at signing them long-term. And, and I think that that's really, really important uh, for a franchise. I'll just use Toronto as an example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, William Nylander's having a fantastic season. He makes $7 million a year. You know, Matthews is going to bump up about a, a million and a half next year with his new contract. Yeah. Marner's still where he's at. And, you know, so if, if the cap is going to go up $4.4 million, $4.5 million, and, and William Nylander gets 3.5 of that, and now Matthews gets 1.5 of that, well, well, now you're covered. Now you have to make decisions in other areas. If the cap doesn't go up, I'm not so sure William Nylander is going to be able to stay in Toronto or they're not going to have to move another player. And that's, and that's everywhere in the league. And, and I'm, I'm using the higher end here, but that's yeah. for every team in the league. So now there's more value. There, there, there's value. You, 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 look at a, you look at a player, uh, like let's use Ryan O'Reilly. So Toronto trades for him last year. They really knew they had little chance to keep him. Mm-hmm. That might that, that might not be the case this year if you're trading for Ryan O'Reilly, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs or other teams. Got it. Because the yeah. cap's going up. So I, I, I think it's really important. I will add one more thing. You know, Gary Bettman is a, is a, is a very, very shrewd and smart uh, commissioner. And don't be surprised if the cap goes up a little bit more than, than he said. But he's not going to go to a higher number. He's going to go to a lower number now. With, a, with, with, with better news potentially for a, for a higher cap number and a higher increase rather than start at a higher number. That's shrewd. And where you see the league at right now and you see where the league is trending with, with respect to revenues in, in important areas, I, I, I think it's really positive that the cap's going up for, for everybody. Another guy who's shrewd is Craig Button because I love that line with the big three and Bouchard and Lupier. And you can bet I'm going to use it, but don't worry. I will credit you, Craig. I have to because this is on YouTube and everyone's going to see it. They're going to say, that wasn't his idea. That's his. It's Craig who brought it up. Awesome stuff, Craig. Uh, have, a great, have a great one. I appreciate taking the time. Uh, thank you, Tony. Always a pleasure. All right. There you have it. The director of scouting for TSN, Craig Button. I love that guy, man. I really do. I hope you like the podcast tonight. If you did like it, share it with your friends. Comment sick, S-I-C-K. Special thanks to our partners and sponsors, Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America. They are driven to be different. Also, La Bitta TV, brewed in Quebec a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bitta TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TB, embrace your true nature and playground. Are you ready to win a million at playground? Earned entry dailies and return every Sunday for a shot at half million dollar weekly grand prize and $1 million at the grand finale. Playground can make your dreams come true. Visit playground.ca for details. Once again, reminding you all that I, the Cavalaros, the Sick Podcast team, we will be at Playground on Saturday, December the 16th in the PM. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be hosting a live podcast either before or after the game, but most likely after the game because the Canadians play the Islanders that night. There will be a couple of televisions, I've been told. There's going to be an area where we can take a look and watch the game. We'll have some hors d'oeuvres. We'll have a beverage while we're playing uh, the slot machines. We'll do all of that at Playground. I look forward to seeing you there. For Agnello, Sammy, Juliana, and Master Control, they're Cavallaro. 
We'll be back tomorrow night, same time, same place, right after the Canadians and the Kings. We are the Sick Podcast, and I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.